Are you ready to open your private practice this summer and make the leap into entrepreneurship? Introducing Make the Leap, our new offering by the Successful Nurse Coaches. Make the Leap is a four-month group coaching program that is designed to help you create your first paid client. Join our experienced lead coaches, Sean and Amy, as they guide you through the Successful Nurse Coach Method, helping you create your first paid client in 30 days or less. Not only will you get access to our course that teaches you all the things on how to create clients in a non-icky way, will also be personalized mentorship, weekly group calls, and actionable steps to launch your business from just beginning into the Paid Coach Club. Since we are not running new mentorship groups this summer, we didn't want to leave those of you who are ready to begin hanging out in space waiting for the next group to start. This group is a great way for new coaches who have yet to begin their coaching practice or for coaches who have five paid clients or less. This is the most affordable way to work with our team. So be sure to check out the link in the bio. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook. Welcome to the Successful Nurse Coach Podcast. On this podcast, Laura and Shelby, both board certified nurse coaches, show you how to make as much money as you want in private practice as a nurse coach. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Successful Nurse Coach Podcast. It is Shelby here today with Laura and a wonderful, wonderful human named Jessica DeMarcus that we are so excited to introduce you to. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about therapy versus coaching, and this is a really juicy topic that we're super stoked to dive into. But I feel like Laura and I are one side of the coin here being coaches. And so we were like, who can we bring in to weigh in on both of these things here? And Jessica is a friend of mine, a coach of Laura's. Um, Jessica is also a licensed therapist. She is a certified life and success coach. She is an NLP practitioner, a hypnotherapist, a registered yoga teacher, And it should be no surprise to anyone after hearing that, that she works with high achieving women to ditch anxiety, doubt, and stress. Um, And what I love about Jess's approach is that she uses this really beautiful integrative strategy and approach with her clients. She does one-on-one and group coaching to where she blends Western evidence-based psychotherapy with Eastern philosophy and practice. And Jess, we are so excited and lucky and all of the things to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm pumped to be here. With that wind up, like you're such a badass. Can I just (laughs) tell you that? I I, like, I knew all that about you, but like having Shelby, just the way that you described Jess, it just makes me realize what a badass she is. (laughs) I know. So I was, uh, what I was saying earlier before my internet had cut out was um, that our, our audience is going to just geek over Jessica's qualifications because nurse coaches love certifications Mm -hmm. and they, they dig it. So, um, Jessica is super well qualified. And not only that, I have been a client in a space where Jessica was also a client and I have seen just like her own inner work, the way she shows up for herself. And it is astronomical. Like there's very few people that show up with the kind of integrity that Jess does. And, um, anyway, I could gush over you forever, but I'm just excited to have you here. I like feel the love so hard right now. 
Oh, okay. Well, let's, let's get to the juicy bit. So we're starting here or we're meeting today to talk about therapy versus coaching. And we reached out to you because, I mean, this comes up all the time for our clients, our nursing based coaching (laughs) clients. They are so just aware and, um, wanting to navigate the rules in the right way. And in the coaching world, like we all know, is just highly unregulated and we get to kind of make things up as we go. And that is very tough for, for nurses to wrap their heads around. So Jess, if you don't mind kind of sharing your own definition of therapy and coaching and maybe tapping into some similarities and differences between the two. Yeah. And I could definitely understand bridging that gap. It's tough, like being a nurse and coming from the medical field where if this, then that, like there is an answer to most things. And if not, you engage in problem solving and come up with a solution. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not that easy in an unregulated industry where not only is there not any standardized care, but there also is still ethics being developed. Right. So it's hard to kind of navigate. So I just want to kind of acknowledge that if you're feeling that, welcome to the club. (laughs) So I feel it as well. Um, you know, and I, and I think that that's just an area of improvement for the coaching industry and and that we're starting to have conversations like this about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, first things first, like differentiating therapy versus coaching. I mean, therapy has been around for almost a century longer. So therapy started in the 19th century. Talk therapy became popular in the 20th century. Um, with clinicians and psychoanalysts like Freud and things like that. Coaching is very new. Um, I know it feels like it's been around for a while um, because it is one of the fastest growing industries right now. And a lot of people are becoming more aware of the role coaching has played for a lot of people. But it started in the late 19th century and it was associated with sports. And then mm-hmm. coaching as we know it today, is only 40 years old. (laughs) That's it. Wow. Um, It's very, very new. And it started in the financial industry, actually. So I think that being said, it's just kind of gives a little bit of context to some of the things that we still have questions about, or there's gray area. Well, it's a very new field. Um, So therapy has been around for, like I said, over a century longer. So um, we have some things going for us, but, um, we're working with humans. So there's obviously going to be subjectivity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can talk about, um, some differences and similarities in terms of the type of clients you might work with and the type of presenting problems, if you think that might be helpful. Yeah, that would be great because I know as a new nurse coach for me, the line felt it just felt blurry. Like no one was able to give me like a clear, like you should definitely recommend to a therapist when, or you, it's definitely okay to coach around this when. Um, and so I think maybe giving some examples could be helpful. Yeah. So I'll start big picture and then I'll get specific, right? So big picture, the type of clients that are more appropriate for coaching versus therapy are clients who are functional. They are not looking to survive. They're looking to thrive. They're like not on the brick of suicide or their marriage failing or losing their job or losing custody of their children or going bankrupt. I would say at that point, we might want a higher level of care or a a, a different set of eyes on that 
individual. Um, so just assessing their level of functionality and, and what they're hoping to get out of the coaching relationship. Um, another piece that might be helpful when you're assessing if a client is more appropriate for coaching versus therapy is their stage of change. I'm pretty sure um, it sounds like, you know, you, at least the clients you work with are aware of this, right? So you have people who are pre-contemplative, contemplative, mm-hmm. move into the preparation stage of change, then take action, move into maintenance. And then there's unfortunately, but realistically relapse for a lot of people. Um, and so with therapy, you're working with people who are like pre-contemplative, contemplative preparation, early action with coaching, at least what I've noticed, the, uh, the individuals who get the best results and are the most coachable are the ones who are more in that preparation, if not already in the action stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I would even say, at least for my ideal client, a lot of my clients are in the action, if not maintenance stage, because they've been doing the work. It's just, there's other barriers that are getting in the way of them hitting that next level. So I think in terms of assessment, I know that that's vague, but it gives you a little bit of a framework in terms of what are you looking for? Where is a client? Where are they wanting to go? And is coaching the more appropriate bridge to cross or is it therapy first? Yeah, that's so helpful. And we, in our coaching training, we learned about the stages of change. And I think that even having that in your mind on your first call with them, on your first powerful conversation with them is to check in and see where they're at by asking some defining questions. Or if you have a pre-coaching questionnaire that kind of can give you an idea. Um, I think in our, with our clients, we have some clients that coach people further in the stages of change and some people that coach further back. So there's actually like different types of niches too, where you could be different places on there. Um, But what I hear you say is that people who are in crisis and not functioning or huge transitions, uh, that would be a higher level of care might be the way to go. Do you ever coach anybody who's in therapy and coaching at the same time? And how do you feel about that? All the time. Um, Because the reality of the situation is when you're coaching individuals who are, you know, seeking support, um, they're usually just sharing the tip of the iceberg with you. And so as the relationship develops, if it becomes beyond the scope that um, I'm trained to offer, or I have the capacity to support them in, um, or I want another set of eyes on them, or even just, you know, hey, we're going to focus on your career, but for your marriage, maybe a couples therapist is more appropriate. Let's create a little treatment team going on here, right? And really kind of share that responsibility, not just between yourself and the client, but maybe another provider. Um, And then in terms of other things, like a rule out, like you were kind of getting out, Laura, might be really important too, like having these things that are just non-negotiable. If there's active suicidality, if there's active psychosis, if there's active anti psychotic medication use, if there's a recent discharge from a hospitalization, if there is, um, you know, active drug or alcohol use that is impacting their ability to function. Like these might be things that you just kind of like check in on and for yourself assess your level of comfort. But I would say at that point, probably refer out. Yeah, that's helpful. I hope that everybody listening right now is breathing a really big sigh of relief because being in crisis mode feels really obvious to me. Like that's going to be like a bright, shiny red flag that's going to stick out. And, oh, you said something. 
um, that I have the capacity to offer, you know, like maybe I'm not trained to, to support you in this or that I have the capacity to offer. Cause I would argue that you're probably one of the most qualified coaches to handle whatever, right. Between, between all of your education and certifications, but then drawing that line for yourself on what you are there to work with the client on what they hired you for. What is the pain point that you're actually working on them with? And as I'm sure this also comes up in the therapy world as well, but for nurses are the catch-all in our typical, more traditional role. We, we hold everything. We are responsible for everything, um, or we're responsible to go find the solution for the problem for, for our patients. And so I'm just really glad that you mentioned that, that you can have your own boundaries that are whatever you want them to be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would encourage you to, as a coach, identify those before you even go into working with a client, because once that rapport is built and there's like leverage and care and support in place, it's going to be harder to kind of refer out because you care. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I'm thinking of a few clients like cycling through in my mind right now that I'm like, I'm so, (laughs) I'm so attached. Like I, it would be, it'd be tough. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's necessary just to be honest with because if we aren't feeling fully ready or confident or any of the things to support some one of our clients in something that it's actually in the best service to them to refer out anyway. Yeah. And you had said you had something in your contract that kind of addresses this or an agreement so that if you're, you get, say you get to week eight or you get to week 12 in a six month contract and they drop a bomb, like, Hey, by the way, I've been using cocaine three days a week. And you're just like, so you reserve the right at that time to change your mind and or make a referral out. And it's you've already pre-agreed to that. And I love that because you're right. It takes, there's different levels. And sometimes we don't even know what's going to come out of our mouth as a client. You know, we don't even know our own levels. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I make sure that I have that conversation with clients in particular, because some clients that do work with me in a coaching capacity know I'm a therapist as well. And, but, but you are hiring me as your coach and that's how I'm operating. Right. I can go into that therapeutic space, but that's not the intention of our relationship. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, I want to share the story about hiring you because I think that it was such a, a cool Okay, So I team, I hired Jessica like at a stage where I was not sure if I needed therapy or a coach. And, and I was like, just at one of those stages, I'm like, I need something. I think I had just started couples uh, therapy with my husband. And the first time I got into the container, I just started bawling and every, and you know, Evan's like, what's wrong. And she said, you know, Oh, what's going on. I'm like, it just feels so good to have someone hold space for me. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I need this more often. And I remember you saying to me, you said, yeah, I mean, just talking to you sound like you could benefit from maybe a little bit of both, but it'll be very difficult for you to find a therapist that has the capacity to hold the kind of space that I'm sensing that you need. Can you tell me more about that? Because that was like, like my mind was blown. I'm like, totally. Like I, I I need something special here. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm going to speak in generalizations because it's, uh, you know, I don't want to like blanket one field is worse and better. Right. You know, But I think what I was getting at with that, Laura, is that you are very self-aware. You have been doing the work for a while. You 
may be further along in application than some therapists. And so the reason I say that is because our modalities take a little bit longer. They're more therapeutic in nature. Um, We go more in depth because we take a holistic view. We're looking at intersectionality. We're looking at culture. We're looking at family, history, trauma versus you were coming to me at a very different stage, wanting a very different result and doing it quickly because you had a lot on your plate, a growing, thriving business, a marriage, a move. The world was, can we curse on your podcast? Yes, please. (laughs) All right. The world was taking a shit. Like there was a lot, there was a lot going on. And I just knew that in traditional therapy, you may get frustrated. Yeah. And so I felt like I didn't want to take you away from that because not that therapy wouldn't have been beneficial, but I just felt like coaching would have been a better container for you because there is more focus on present and future. It's more solution oriented. Yeah. We're using more positive psychology. There's more room for self-disclosure. So it just, because it is still unregulated and there is no standard practice. And because again, the type of client we're working with, it just can feel a little bit different. It feels more intense. It feels quicker. It feels like you're getting yeah. results like a little bit faster. Um, and just the state that you were in, I just felt like I didn't want to drive you in one way or the other, but I did want to point that out so that you didn't find yourself getting worse before you got better. Yeah. Yeah. I would have been frustrated. <laughs> you always say like every, every call you're like, the Menards move fast, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good, I like that. I like that distinction of, um, yeah, in, in the coaching world, it's like, we have, we are so solutions based and we are so self-aware and um, I don't want to stay in the problem or the diagnosis and I don't see myself as broken. Um, I see myself as changing and growing and I, I have felt in therapy sometimes a need to, to find what's wrong. Um, and I don't even know, like in therapy school, like you have diagnoses with every, with every patient. So you are, you are looking for something flawed or wrong. And then in coaching, the fundamental belief is that nobody is flawed or wrong. So there is like a differing in, in actual, can you talk about that? Like hundred percent, hundred percent. So I think there is in the last, like at least 10 to 20 years that I've noticed a shift in the world of mental health, where we're going from patient to client, we're going from diagnosing to understanding a person in their environment and the intersectionality of being human (laughs) in our society. Um, and there is a lot of talk about changing um, not only our practices, but how we diagnose and how we inform our diagnosis. Um, so I know for me, that was a personal conflict where I worked with children, I worked with trauma survivors, and I really struggled putting a label on a child and getting a treatment team around to medicate them. Um, I do believe in interdisciplinary work, but it was really hard for me to see a child in 60 minutes, diagnose them, get them a med visit, and then treat them as my patient. Um, so for, that's just not how my brain works. I, I believe that nature and nurture really work together. And, and I don't think our DSM, which is the yeah. book we use to diagnose is all encompassing and really allow space for that. So um, yeah, I mean, I think 
the medical model and insurance plays a big role in that. And I feel like I just said a bad word, but <laughs> when people go into therapy, a lot of times they're going through their insurance and, um, because of the way that model works, we do have to diagnose yeah. in order to get it approved. And so again, with coaching being unregulated, we don't have to do any of that. And it gives us the space and freedom. Um, now I will say, like I said, I kind of teeter both worlds. I do think that diagnosing and having that training and, and having that framework of what symptoms are presented and, and, and what that might look like. And like, that is helpful. And it does inform how I intervene and work with a client, but I haven't diagnosed a client in probably like five, six years. Yeah. Mm, does that feel good for you? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I also, I have to call myself out. Um, you know, I am very biased. I'm a lot of my training is in trauma. And, um, if we could rule out trauma completely, I might feel more comfortable diagnosing, but mm -hmm. 70% of adults have a trauma history. And yeah. so it's just almost impossible. And the evidence in terms of what trauma does to the brain and how it manifests interpersonally, physically, emotionally, it just, I, I just, I really struggle diagnosing someone when there's a trauma history because yeah, those symptoms could be presented, not just because of your neurobiology, but just because of your yeah. upbringing and some of the events you experienced. Yes. Okay. Can we touch on this trauma piece and, uh, touch might be not be the right word. We might need to take a complete left turn here and talk about it because be there, the nurse coaching community is very aware of trauma informed care. And some of them have even teetered into more certifications to become more trauma resolution at, through like somatic practices or, um, just yeah, different certifications. And so, I think that's some folks can get a little, when you're new, you can get a little hung up on like, Ooh, this feels really therapy. We're talking about trauma. We're talking about the past. Um, but also a lot of our community has their own experience with trauma, with medical gassing. Like it, I just feel like nurse coaching in general attracts a really unique type of nurse. And it's just not something that our community is willing to ignore. Um, but I mean, and the, their answer might be no to this, but is there anything to just be aware of like any, any other red flags mm. in the world of trauma that might just send a signal for you just to be like, maybe we need more eyes, more support, different support here. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. I think first things first, understand that seven out of 10 of your clients are trauma survivors. So when you're yeah. talking to a person, it is safer to assume that you are talking to a trauma survivor. And so what that means is if you're asking a deep question about their childhood, make sure that you are prepared for what they may or may not share. Mm -hmm. um, and I would just encourage individuals to make sure that that client stays as present as possible if trauma comes up. Doesn't mean that if they disclose some trauma that you're like, all right, I can't be your coach. You need a therapist. Mm -hmm. Really pay attention to how are they responding? Are they getting flooded? Are they getting triggered? Are they disassociating? Are they becoming hypervigilant? Did they struggle the rest of the day after that session? If that's the case, then maybe having a conversation where, hey, let's get some more support here, right? Mm. Like, you know, let's maybe find a therapist. If they can talk about it and not, they might get tearful, they, their face might get red. They might say, I don't know a lot. That's okay. But if they can stay present with you mm -hmm. and self-regulate when they are triggered or talking about something, you can coach them through it. 
That's okay. Mm-hmm. It's it's really kind of like being aware and present with your client as to when the trauma comes up. Are they having a trauma reaction or are they able to stay present and talk about the trauma? That's that's the difference. Huge. Huge, huge, huge. huge. Yeah. yeah. And that's almost like an intuitive thing, right? And if you weren't sure, so let's just say you're a new coach and you're coaching a woman and about something and then she tells you about being sexually abused as a teen. And then maybe she even says, I haven't told anybody this, right? Like this, this does happen. This happens in pro bono coaching. It happens in certification. And I think that's where the, the new nurse coach freaks out. Cause it's like, oh, I'm swimming in, I'm, I'm in, I'm doing something bad. And what you're saying is that's just a time to get super curious because even in that conversation, you can check in, you can seek permission. How is this, is, how are you feeling talking about this with me right now? Um, because if they can stay present and talk about it, we're, it's fair game. It's okay. And then next session and our homework follow-up checking in, how did you feel the rest of the day? Is anything else coming up? And then at any point we can make that referral say, Hey, I want to keep coaching you. And wouldn't it be cool to have some other time set aside to really dive in since I'm the first person you told. So you can create safety in any situation within that container. which I think makes me feel safer as a coach. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. Safety, safety, safety. Yeah. Okay. Like I know coming from a therapy background, I know before we hit record, we were talking about the CYA, don't do any harm (laughs) rhetoric (laughs) that's like ingrained in our brain. Um, But that is a responsibility that you share with the client. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I think in therapy, again, because the type of person you're working with, they're coming into a medical model, they're coming to you as the expert, that, that dynamic gets a little muddy. But in the coaching industry, that is a responsibility you share with the client. Hey, we work together to keep this a safe, focused, intentional container. If at any time that shifts, you and or I reserve the right to have a conversation around that. Yeah. Always comes back to those damn agreements. We talked about <laughs> agreements yesterday on our podcast when we recorded. It's like the agreements are so magic. And if you're working with a specific niche that most of them have trauma and 70% have trauma anyway, and even creating agreements around that can, can create safety as a brand new coach. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, your agreements can create safety even if you've only coached 30 hours or 50 hours. Mm-hmm. And your assessment can create safety. Like I would encourage coaches, you know, again, it's unregulated. So no, I don't know if anyone's doing this, but your first call should be a little bit of an assessment, if not your consultation. And so part of that assessment is asking, Hey, have you been to therapy before? Yeah. How did it work? Right. Um, Because if they're coming to you for coaching on an issue that they've tried to work on with other coaches and have never been to therapy, or they're taking medication for something they never talked to a therapist about. And they just worked with that. Then that's something to explore, right? Yeah. What's the resistance to therapy. If this is an issue that you've worked on and you're not making progress and you're feeling stagnant, this might be something a little bit more pervasive. This might be something more severe or persistent. And, and that's more of the realm of therapy, that persistent, chronic, pervasive mental health that impacts your ability to function. Now, therapists are great for everyday stressors too. Not saying that we're reserved just for those more severe uh, mental health issues, um, but that's where our training really shines. Um, So something to kind of pay attention to. If your client's not making progress, instead of renewing with them, might be time to refer out. Mm, Yeah. 
Well, and also yeah, not all therapists are created equal and not all coaches are created equal. And so even sometimes, because we've had so many people say, gosh, to our clients, to us, I've been in therapy for eight years on something. And then I've had three sessions with you and if I feel better than I have in eight years, like I hear that a lot. And, and I don't want people to think that means that coaching is better than therapy. It's not, but perhaps that relationship was better attuned for that client because I've had amazing therapists that were very coachy, by the way, obviously I hired you, you're, you're awesome. And then I've had really shitty therapists, really shitty therapists that I felt like crap every time I went to go see them. And, and, and that's the same for coaches too. Like we're all different with different skill sets and different styles. So, um, and you're talking to something, Laura, that we've actually studied in the field of therapy. Um, I mean, obviously the scientific method is an interesting thing to talk about in general, and I'm not going to get on that soapbox, but what the science has shown is that about 60 to 70% of client progress is more associated with the therapeutic alliance than the actual modality used. Yeah. Ooh. What's, and that what's comes the alliance? Back, it is the rapport and safety that the client and provider have. Yeah. The relationship. The, the relationship. personal relationship. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I feel like we're learning so many new buzzwords right now. I feel smarter. <laughs> this is great for me. <laughs> I'm I am a closet nerd for sure. Like I... <laughs> Love, love it all. I just had the craziest thunderstorm roll in. Uh, so just giving our listeners that you might hear some loud bangs. This is all new to me on the East Coast. This shit's crazy. <laughs> it's just summer and now it's dark and there's lightning on top of my house. <laughs> yeah, I think. And, and you know, that kind of shines a light onto coaches are always like, what is, what is the the next right thing or the best thing or the right question or the, this and the, that, or the best, whatever. Cause we just want to like serve our clients so powerfully and really like make a difference with them. But like the relationship itself, the safety in that relationship, the space that you hold, like, uh, Ashley Durant was mentioning this a couple podcasts ago that like the most helpful thing someone could have done for her in the beginning of her healing journey was just hold non-judgmental space for her to process. Yeah. And, um, it's not a surprise to me at all that that shows up in therapy too, that that's just like the most foundational piece for whatever therapeutic relationship we, we cultivate and create. Yeah. I mean, now don't get me wrong when I am working with a client even as a coach, but especially as a therapist, I was doing an assessment, really trying to explore with the client where they are, where they're wanting to go and what got them there and going into the research base and seeing what form of therapy, what type of interventions, what type of skills has been shown in science. Cause we have like two centuries worth of science, right. To bridge that gap in the most cohesive, effective way. And so it feels like I'm just talking and holding space, but there is a framework in my head that I'm walking them through. Um, as a coach, again, like you get to design that framework. Um, there's a lot of beauty to that. There's also a lot of pressure to that as well, right. where it's like, I don't know what to do. Help me. Tell me what to do. Um, and, and, and with practice and with dealing with your clients and with continuing to learn, you'll create your own framework that gets clients results. Um, but there are a couple accessible frameworks that you don't need a graduate level degree to, to work a client through. Um, my favorite ones are 
MI, which is motivational interviewing, and CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. They are well-versed. They're effective. They are um, modalities that are useful for a variety of presentations. Um, And I think that they're kind of easy to implement because they've been around for a while and literally you can Google motivational interviewing questions, CBT questions, print it out, have it next to you on a coaching call and be able to coach a client. Um, So I, you know, I know for me, like, tell me what to do gets me started. And then once I get started and then I find my own process and I, and I find comfort with practice, I can kind of get off the script. But for me in the beginning, even when I was a therapist, I was like, I need a script. Um, and it was helpful for me to have those questions in my back pocket. Super similar to like learning Reiki or energy work or really any new skill that you go in and you have a sequence and, and it's, it's more linear and it's more left brain. And then that's, you, you get into the skill to learn it that way. And then once you're in there, you start to embody it. You start to get into your right brain. You start to feel it in, in your body. You start to get super present, but you have to have like the list of questions next to your laptop just to get you started. But then what you're saying is over time and repetition with several clients that your own framework emerges, that's yours, that's unique, that works for you. And I feel in our community, there's a, oh, there's just a, impatience with that process. Like, I want to know, I want to feel every, I want to feel the way that you feel when you've been doing it for five years in my first five months. I know I felt that way. And so like normalizing that your whole coaching call could be 10 questions and holding mm-hmm. and holding non-judgmental space. Right. Mm-hmm. And it could still be magical and amazing. It's interesting. Cause I, I talk about this with a lot of my friends. I live in Raleigh, which is a big tech city. And so, you know, there are, it's not like an Austin or San Diego where everyone's a coach, right. And everyone's, you know, doing somatic work. It, it's very, very tech and entrepreneurial, which I love. I actually really appreciate, but I was talking to someone about this the other day where it's like, they're a coder, they, they design apps and they're like, yeah, if there's an issue, we troubleshoot and we find the answer. That's it. Black and white fact. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. I was like, I would hate your job. And he's like, but you are a problem solver. And I was like, tell me more. And he goes, you solve problems. It's just that your answer is less linear and direct. And I was like, wow, that's a really beautiful reframe. Um, it just requires a different level of presence, a different skill set, um, and a different level of patience. You're, you're working with a non-black and white issue, right? And and even coming from nursing the coaching in the body, I mean, everyone's body's different and we have to take their history and psychology into play. But at the end of the day, like everyone's liver functions the same way, hopefully, right? Like if X problem, yeah. Y solution, when you're talking about feelings and mental health and relationships and those more gray subjective parts of a human, you got to be patient. Like there, there yeah. is no straightforward answer or cracking the code to figure out this is what I say in this moment. Like, good luck. That's not yeah. how it works. And yeah. Oh, I want art. everyone to hear that for just a second, that there are three coaches that have been doing this for years, telling you that there is no way to hijack <laughs> this <laughs> process. And it just takes time. Sorry to interrupt you, Laura. No, no, it's, it's awesome because it's, it's artistic, you know, nursing is an art, nursing is science. And we're coming from a science brain and a science industry. And we're going into an industry that is really artistic. 
with some science, um, but it's an artistic creative process. And it's just a new muscle that we start to work with inside of our container. Just like you would learn to paint a picture, going to an art class and having someone say, use this color and this paintbrush to start with. And there's so many tools to even be a brand new artist where you're still making beautiful art and having beautiful coaching conversations. Um, Obviously, I'm assuming you love coaching more because that's what you've decided to do. But tell me more about that. Like, how did you, you started off in therapy, went to therapy school. Um, Tell me about your journey into where you are now. Yeah. um, It's interesting um, because I feel like I held both simultaneously for a really long time. I actually paid for all of my um, education by working at a marketing firm. And in that marketing firm, you were paid and promoted based on performance, um, not age or any other demographics, which was really beautiful because as a high achiever, I was like, wait, (laughs) I can make more money just because I'm awesome. (laughs) This is great. Um, So, but that marketing firm really introduced me to the world of personal growth because you have to really be on yourself to perform at a high level um, and to manage all the emotions that come with being in that type of role. Um, So I hired my first life coach when I was like 18, 19 years old. I spent six grand on a credit card. Holy moly. Dang. Yeah. (laughs) So cool. Uh, (laughs) And I had phone 30 minute phone calls with this man in San Diego every other week. Um, And I had homework and, um, it's, it's really interesting to even just see his evolution over the last like 15 years too. But, um, you know, so I, so I knew that this industry existed. I saw how much it helped me in my sales performance and my leadership ability and expanding my capacity for what I thought was possible. My money mindset, I was just like, wow, like this is amazing. And when I started training to become a therapist, I was like, wait, (laughs) (laughs) coaching is therapy. Wait, therapy is coaching. I start to see the overlap, but I am a very decisive person. I knew I wanted to be a therapist. So I went straight through, I went to grad school. I got licensure. I went into private, like I just boom, 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 boom. I was teaching by like 26 years old. Like I was like, (laughs) I was on it. Right. But I always had in the background this coaching. I I had hired coaches throughout my time in grad school. I had hired therapists. So so I saw the overlap. And um, basically what happened was I was 26 years old and um, I was burned out. Um, I'll save you guys the details, but I was working as a trauma therapist. Um, I got burned out and I started to kind of lose connection with myself and my mission and my purpose as a therapist. And um, I decided to kind of take a break. So trained to become a yoga teacher, traveled a little bit, um, went back into the field of therapy, but more macro level. I did program development, holistic health, research teaching. Um, and at that point decided to start dabbling in coaching. Um, and then in 2017, I just realized that the industry was more in alignment with my lifestyle and my values of freedom of my time, location, income, the type of client I worked with. Um, I also obviously had an entrepreneurial spirit and I just felt really capped and burned out. And like my gifts and lifestyle weren't being fulfilled in in the field Mm -hmm. of mental health. And so, um, yeah, I took the leap in 2017, 18 is really when I like did it for real, for real. Cause I dabbled for a little bit <laughs> and, um, and I 
kept my foot in the therapy world for a little bit. Um, but then when COVID hit, um, I relocated, I'm licensed in certain States. And I just was like, you know what, this was the leap. We're just going to coach full time from now on. Um, so I don't have a favorite. I think that they both complement each other. Well, I think both industries have their pros and cons. I think both industries could learn from each other. Um, and I wish that there was more communication between the two, honestly. Um, but I would say at this point, I've created a therapeutic coaching modality. <laughs> That's what I call it. <laughs> yeah, that it's kind of insane to hear you just like rattle it off. Just like, oh, yeah, then this happened. Then I moved and then took the leap and uh, all the things. And um, like even the idea of letting my nursing license go like really honestly still kind of like, I'm like, Ooh, like I worked really hard for that. And I, I, uh, that feels important for me to run to. And, um, especially because like Laura and I are just so obsessed with moving the needle forward within the nurse coaching space and like making this a real specialty and, you know, all, all the things on why it's important. Um, but that's a big leap, Jess. That's a, that's a big leap. Not that you can't ever go back, but that, that feels like that feels official. Right, writing it in the sand there. It felt very official when renewal came around and I was like, oh, I live in a different state. Like, you know, and Mm -hmm. when the semester ended and they were like, hey, Jess, do you want to like teach again? And like just starting to say no to things and pulling away. And, and, you know, this is more personal, but I'll share it because I don't know if it would resonate with your population or not. But um, not only was that hard for me in terms of like risk and stability, and this was my education, I worked so hard for it. I felt guilty a little bit. It's interesting. I'm getting emotional right now. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I felt guilty um, leaving the world of therapy, um, not mentally or emotionally, but um, vocationally, because I worked with a really vulnerable population that deserved my level of care, but unfortunately will never be able to afford my level of care anymore. Mm -hmm. And that is really sad. Um, and I struggled with that for a while and I, and it's interesting, like I said, to kind of notice some emotions that come up, even just acknowledging that I haven't talked about this in a while, but that made the transition a little bit harder and longer for me. Mm. Um, Now I find different ways to contribute. I was actually just talking about this yesterday about like, you know, doing maybe some pro bono or a scholarship for like a woman of color or, you know, teaching again, or maybe publishing again. Like I've been trying to think about what my contribution to that field looks like now, but, um, you know, sometimes I think that that happens when you up level and you grow and, and, and you outgrow spaces and relationships and roles. Um, I I think it's important to kind of acknowledge that potential grief and loss and sadness that happens on that journey. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, thank you. That was medicine for me to hear. Uh, I'll tell you later, but that I, I needed to, to hear that as well. And just thank you for sharing that so openly with, with us, because, um, I, I mean, just this, this, goes into the nursing world as well. Yeah. Right? Like we're, we're walking away or we're, we're leaving our team dry. The, the yeah. just traditional hospital setting is such a mess right now. And there is a lot of guilt. Um, 
around choosing a different way. Um, so I'm really glad that you spoke to that because it's, you're definitely not alone in, in those feelings, in those feelings at all. Um, but we, uh, Laura and I talk about this a lot too, is okay. Um, our plan was first to financially take care of ourselves and our family and feel solid. And then like, how do we turn around and, and contribute, right? Like what is, what is using our resources for good look like? What is being really, epically aligned with whatever pro bono thing we offer. Like, what does that look like? And, um, it's exciting. It's exciting to be able to do that too. Yeah. So that's like the next fun part of it all. Yeah. And it's a gift to be in a position Mm -hmm. to contribute in that way, because I could have been doing epic work, um, but just be so capped with my energy and my time and my income that I couldn't contribute in any other way besides leveraging myself more than I had the capacity to. Um, yeah. And now I have access to other resources like time and income and energy to get excited about what that looks like here. Mm-hmm. That's Ooh, huge team. because- Let that sink in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we talk about that, but- people get into nurse coaching because they want to help their patients in a way that they haven't been able to help their patients. And then they get into the the private practice world and they realize that, Hey, the people who can pay me enough so that I can walk away from my job are not those people. And what do I do with that discrepancy? And it's like, okay, well, first we create a really healthy, thriving business for you and your family. And then there'll come a point where you have excess money and or time. And, mm-hmm. and the resources and skills and creative ability to create solutions where they could not be created before. So you, you create more impact in the world by temporarily stepping away. Um, and I think that that's a huge why. I mean, I remember paying for a woman's naturopathic care because someone told me about her and I just could. Like that mm-hmm. was, I just, you know, it was $1,500 and and I just could. And I'm like, I've arrived at that point where if somebody really needs my help, uh, I can help them and it's not going to break me or I don't have to ask my husband or I don't have to budget for it. And that is a really cool place to be either with time or with money to be able to, to serve people who, who need us, who can't afford our services full circle. Mm. Shoot. Well, that feels uh, like such a really special place to, to kind of wrap up, but Jess, I want to check in with you to see if there's anything else that feels important to add to, to the topic of therapy versus coaching or therapy and coaching, since we're not pitting one against the other. I was just going to say, I was like, that would be the thing that I would want to end on. You know, it it, it doesn't have to happen in a silo. Like if you, if you have the thought, huh, this client might benefit from therapy suggest they get a therapist too. doesn't mean you have to stop working with them. Just get another set of eyes on them. And if at any time you're feeling uncomfortable, reach out for help from anyone you're working with or resources. Um, And there's a lot of great information out there. I mean, you, again, you don't have to work siloed with a client. You can refer them out, get a team together, do some research, come back and just continuously check in with them. Um, But if you feel connected to that client and capable in like learning, if there is a blind spot for you in your coaching, you'll be fine. Yeah. Awesome. Mm, so good. So good. Well, Jess, thank you like a million times. Thank you for just 
shedding some light on this topic. There's literally no one better qualified that I know to be able to speak around this. And um, yeah, thank you for your time. And we will be sure to include all of Jess's contact info, Instagrams, emails, all the things in the show notes. If you, again, I feel like we say this a lot on our, on our podcast of when we talk about, you know, having guests on or potential offerings, but if you listen to this podcast and something is like nudging you to reach out to Jess, honor the nudge, reach out to her. Uh, We trust her. We trust her explicitly. So um, if there was ever a non-nurse coach we would refer to, it would be just to Marcus. Show up. (laughs) Sure. Um, I appreciate you ladies. Thank you. And just keep doing the work you're doing. I think it's beautiful that you are, you know, taking individuals who obviously have empathic gifts and a skill set and are in a service industry and giving them the tips, tools, and support to serve in a different capacity that feels good for them. So keep it up. It's good mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Awesome. This Thank is just Jess. the beginning. Thanks, You're Jess. Welcome. Thank you.